The frickin' miracle of birth. Well, welcome to the frickin' miracle of birth. Thank you. We're excited to have you. Um, do you prefer Cat or Catherine? I just call you Cat because I don't know why I started doing that. I don't know. I usually go by Catherine, but if okay. you're feeling Cat, that's okay too. Like, okay. Well, I'll I'll try to remember to say Catherine. I don't, literally, I don't know where I picked that up. Like, maybe I heard somebody call you at one time and then it just stuck in my brain. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Georgina, do you have any um, fake sponsors this week? Um, my fake sponsor is the concession stands at any of the family-friendly activities that you go to uh, that are always, like, overpriced and the food isn't good, but they're always there for me because Mm -hmm. I inevitably forget snacks Mm -hmm. or I don't pack enough snacks. And I don't know how that's physically possible because I objectively pack a lot of snacks, but it's never, it's never enough. And so there's always a concession stand. And today the concession stand had a walking taco which I just texted you about because it's one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten. It's a ripped up Doritos bag with the lettuce, the meat and the cheese and sour cream poured in. And then you crush the Doritos and you just stick a fork in and eat it. And I, I'm just delighted by this. That sounds so good. I would do it it with a Frito. (laughs) I like Fritos with taco flavor more than I like Doritos with taco flavor. Yeah, I've heard I've heard of both, but I'd never experienced this this Midwestern delight before. So um, very into walking tacos and just really any place the zoo, whatever, wherever we're at, where there's food somewhere that's like just horrifically overpriced, and I could definitely buy it at the grocery store for less. I am just glad that it's near me. So that's, that's my fake sponsor this week. Um, so my fake sponsor this week would be, like, being preoccupied with one child for, like, the shortest amount of time that then allows your other child to spray leave-in conditioner literally over your entire main floor. Like, on the floor, on the computer, on the kitchen countertops, just everywhere. And, uh... Yeah, that was a new one. I've had children for almost six years now, and I never thought leave-in conditioner would just be, like, this crazy temptation left out on the counter, and now I know that it is. So that's my sponsor this week. Wow, that sounds like a new, like, extreme child sport, like, mm-hmm. leave-in conditioner, slip and slide. Yeah, just slippery Obstacle course. and wet and Hard smelly. to clean off. And he came upstairs and was like, I made everything smell good. Can you come smell it? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I can't. <laughs> Holy yeah. moly. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that was part of the morning yesterday. Oh, my gosh. That makes me want to go lock my leave-in conditioner in a cabinet now. You should. I'm going to. I'm going to. Well, awesome. Thank you to our fake sponsors. Um, Catherine, um, again, welcome to the podcast. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and um, your family. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I am. 
I am here today to talk about Sam, who is now five. He just turned five and he started kindergarten this fall, so um, big milestones there. And I also have a three-year-old daughter um, named Anna, and she just started pre-K this fall, so um, my babies are definitely growing up. Wow, three and five. Um, so Sam, you're, you'll be sharing his birth. So I guess walk us through what, what it was like pre-Sam finding out that Sam was on his way. Oh my gosh, well I was really old. I guess that's the starting point. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was 38 uh, when I had Sam, 37 when I got pregnant. We had been trying for a long time and um, we were super excited, but I think that somehow the process of, you know, trying to have a baby and it not happening right away makes you really nervous, or at least it did for me, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you you don't trust it, and you're like, well, what if everything's not going to go okay? And, um, so there was a little bit of that, but it was just, like, pure excitement. Like, we were so ready for him, um, yeah, there's just little moments of my pregnancy that I remember, like, uh, when we found out that he was a boy, because I am obviously not the kind of patient person that can, like, wait to find out, like, I needed to, <laughs> I needed to know, and so they called me at my office and told me, and then, like, I waited, um, till I got home so I could tell my husband, Randy, in person, and I just remember, like, standing by the toaster when I told him that we were having a boy, and, like, I don't know why I remember that, but I just remember that very clearly, like I was right by the toaster, and uh, I don't know, it was a pretty normal pregnancy, but it was, um, you know, obviously felt spectacular to us, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and not much, um, you know, other than the fact that I was geriatric, there was nothing really um, red flags about it, he was um, big, he consistently measured like like large and chunky, and so... Um, my family has like a really strong history of huge babies and um, (laughs) so that kind of made me nervous because I had grown up with these horror stories my mom was five feet tall and I think when she got pregnant with my brother who's older than I am she was probably like 100 pounds and he ended up being like 10 pounds 12 and three quarter ounces excuse me yes Yes. (laughs) he was over 10 percent of her body weight when she got pregnant (laughs) so like my goodness so and she did not hold back with this story either because she would tell it like all the time about how like she went into labor (laughs) and like they thought that she was gonna have this baby vaginally and then like that became clear that that was not going to happen and like so she ended up like laboring for a long time and then having a c-section and so I don't know she definitely passed on that trauma to me like by Mm -hmm, telling this mm -hmm. story so many times and like you know I in retrospect wish I hadn't had that story in my head like when I was going to labor with Sam because um all the ultrasounds and like spoiler alert ultrasounds can be wrong about yes. birth weight yes um, so they yes. were saying he was in like the 99th percentile and his head was super oh huge and, and so I'm thinking oh my god you know this is going to be like a repeat of my mom's situation and it turned out he was eight pounds ten ounces which is like super respectable but yeah. not insane yeah so, not um, insane so I anyway I think yeah. it's so interesting like if I had a crazy, I mean, I love my birth story. I tell everyone that will freaking listen to me. And if it was crazy, I would do the exact same thing. 
So I like relate to those women who want to just like get it out there to anyone who will listen. But then I'm also like maybe save it for people that have already had their babies because yeah. like we go into it like with all these like you said ideas in our head and it can just be so scary if you have like this insane yeah like one of my friends told me a story of someone who like really wanted to have a natural birth and she's the most hippie person ever but then like went like was laboring at home for like four days and all the, just I won't I'll spare you the details but like a lot of things didn't go well and it ended up being fine but I was just like and she told me this while I was pregnant when I was saying, like, oh, I would like to have a natural birth if I can. And I was like, why are you telling me how this other person had the worst time trying to do what I'm about to try to do? <laughs> like, it's, it's so funny how, like, the, the things that you absorb, like, from your environment, the things that people tell you become part of your own narrative about mm-hmm. what could happen. And, and obviously it's such a big deal that people make a big deal out of it. So you can go into it knowing that, like this is going to be huge, it's going to be a big, huge deal. and um, But, yeah, I think it can be a little bit damaging to be around, you know, to hear all these stories, you know, be around people who tell you, like, terrible things, you mm-hmm, know. Um, mm-hmm. And to just, I don't know, I think that can be a hard, um, a hard thing. And I definitely absorbed that from my mom, like, um, and she was always talking about how, like, C-section, C-sections were great. And I totally get her perspective, but she's like, you know, C-sections are, like, the civilized way to do it. And, like, you know, c- c- you know, I don't understand why people think C-sections are bad. And, like, you know. So I kind of went into it with that mentality. And actually, Sam was um, breached up until, like, 38 weeks. Um, and so they're, you know, we're going into it in the later stages from like 35 weeks or so on. And they're like, yeah, he's still breached. He hasn't turned and you'll probably have to have a C-section. And, um, you know, I went to a, I went to a fantastic hospital where there was like half dozen midwives and half dozen OBGYNs. And, um, and you would see the midwives until you needed to see the OBGYN and -hmm. like, or you could, you could choose who to make an appointment with, but you quickly realize that the midwives like have time for you and will answer your questions. The OBGYNs are a little bit more, um, you know, doctor, doctory. And, uh, so even though I didn't think I was going to be a midwife, you know, person, it sounded a little bit, you know, um, you know, hippie for me. Cause I'm like, I'm all about like, give me, you know, the doctor from Harvard, please. But yeah, yeah. Um, Science and yeah. statistics and facts, please. Yeah. <laughs> but then once I went to the midwives, I sort of quickly figured out that they really knew what they were talking about. And also they were willing to talk to you, which, you know, is a big bonus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I ended up in the care of the midwives and they were the ones who were telling me, um, that he was breached and I might have to have a C-section and the whole time they're telling me this, they're acting, you know, I privately thought to myself, Oh, they're acting like that's such a terrible thing. Whereas like, I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I have to have a C-section. <laughs> I've heard it's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard it's like a, a lot more, you know, civilized and predictable. And there's something about it, like where, you know, there's an appealing aspect to a C-section where you think, well, it's scheduled. I can like have it on my terms. I can get monthly ready for it. And, and so that's where I was at 38 weeks when he turned head down and they're like, great news. You can, you know, you can have a vaginal delivery. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I was, you know, willing to try it, but I had to kind of get my mind around that, Mm -hmm. that like, 
this is going to be how it goes. Um, so, you, but I had a lot, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you recall how you found your midwife group? Um, yeah, I had actually found an, a doctor through that group many years before, like, you know, five or six years. And then um, I had been with that doctor and she had referred me to the fertility specialist that I had been seeing. So I had a history with the OBs in that group, but then um, it just so happened that they had these midwives that I hadn't even, they hadn't been on my radar Mm -hmm. until I got pregnant. And then they're like, you should see the midwives. The the other great thing about that too, is that you can be in the care of midwives in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And I, and I really didn't quite get that. Um, Yeah. You know, you're not and, like going to be in a cave in the woods. Like, yes, like you can have a midwife. And, yeah, someone who's dedicated to bringing your child, you know, into the world in the least sort of invasive way possible. But this can all occur in a hospital. Yeah. Where if you need oxygen, if you need an IV, if you need a C-section, you know, um, and this will come up later in my story. But you know, at one point, you know, they told me if this gets really dicey, we can have this baby out in ten minutes or less. Yeah. And so, um, and so that's, that was a great comfort to me. And I think, um, I needed that to feel comfortable, you know, paradoxically, I think people, some people, you know, feel comfortable at home and I just would not have, because I would not, like, I feel like the greatest comfort that I felt was just knowing that, that they had my back if anything happened. Cause I'm not the kind of person that assumes that nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> You're thinking worst case scenario at all times. Always, always. You're with kindred spirits. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I totally recommend that having a, you know, if you can find a group that can, that has both midwives and OBs at a hospital setting. Um, it's like the, for me, it was the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. Um, can we rewind a little bit and tell us how your first trimester went? Um, first trimester was good. We were redoing our bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> we only we only have one like full bathroom in our house. We have a half bath downstairs. So I found out I was pregnant and then we start doing all this demolition and um so that was interesting. I was like showering in the gym at work every day. And, uh, but you know, I do remember, like, every day in the gym at work, I would look at my belly, you know, and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I was a little nauseous, but nothing too much. Um, really nervous about everything I ate and drank and was, you know, trying. I remember once I, like, drank unpasteurized orange juice, and I was like, <laughs> oh my god, it's the end of the world. <laughs> That's, you know, typical, like, first child, first child things, mm-hmm. you know. But it really wasn't bad. I was walking and exercising and um, mostly went to the gym just to shower, but like occasionally I would go there and work out. <laughs> so yeah. And then how did um, second trimester go? What time of year was it when you hit second trimester? I had my second trimester in the winter, so... Okay. Um, Pretty you know, ideal. It was, it was nice. Yeah, it was really nice. I remember being like really warm because my body temperature was like running high and, mm-hmm. you know Minnesota that's not bad at all it, yeah. was just, it was very peaceful it was a very comfortable peaceful second trimester and then the third trimester was when it started getting like uncomfortable and I was mm-hmm. teaching I was teaching in a classroom that was like tiered classroom and I just remember like 
not wanting to walk up and down the tiers, which mm-hmm. are like, you know, the step height is like six inches. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, no, you got to come down to me. Um, but I, I was definitely still teaching and, you know, it was huge. His due date was June 3rd. So, you know, w- once I got my final exams, you know, back, I like sat down and graded them like that minute because I yeah. was sure that I was going to like go into labor. And then I posted the grades and then it was a big mistake because it was too fresh and everybody started getting like really upset about their grades oh, just like, even oh, I should have waited much. like a week <laughs> so um and then he proceeded to be very late so oh, that's kind man. of where my birth story starts I feel like is that, <laughs> yeah his due date was June 3rd and he was born on June 15th Ooh, that's a long oh wait. my gosh oh it was so bad like I I I feel like there's a point where like the baby starts to like the the tax that they put on your vital energy becomes Mm -hmm. too great you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like the life-sustaining force that is required you know starts to not to allow you the mom to have like enough life force for your own life or something you know like it, it, it overtakes you yeah um and I definitely felt that. I felt that physically, and I definitely felt that emotionally. Like, I I was starting to feel restless, you know, physically and emotionally. Um, and he just was not coming. I think he would still be in there, to be honest. It was like, <laughs> he was never going to come out. And, you know, I remember going to the midwife on, like, a Friday, and uh, and I was like, you know, she's like, well, at this point, you know, we're ready to induce you. And I'm like, okay, well, this is like, you know, it's a big intervention. Or no, I think my husband said something like about, you know, big interventions and, you know, not wanting to have a lot of big interventions with the Mm -hmm. birth. And the midwife looked at him straight up and was like, yeah, induction is a big intervention. (laughs) Like, you just get that out of your head right now because, like if you don't want a lot of interventions like an induction does not fit that category it's kind of like the second biggest one yes <laughs> the it's first one being c-section the yes. second one being induction <laughs> yes um and you know you have all these things in your head about interventions it's funny like just on both sides of that the feelings that come up mm-hmm. about interventions like on one hand there's this sense that like it should be natural it should be like my body and my body alone you know bringing this miracle into the world and you know on the other side you're like well you know we live in a modern world where there's like all these things available to us Mm -hmm. that make our lives just inarguably better you know yeah and so I don't know I think I was I was just ready you know I remember leaving the midwife's office on Friday and having the induction set up for the Monday and still be on the fence about it and just asking her like can I call you and like cancel it at the last minute if I change my mind and she's like she's like yeah sure but you know basically don't do that <laughs> like, okay fine 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 I'm just wondering like if I could she's like well you know you can just don't okay so Monday morning like we show up at um like I don't know eight o'clock or something at the hospital and check ourselves in and you know, I'm really nervous, like mm-hmm. really, really scared. And um, so we get in there and 
you know, the first thing they have you do is like, you know, put on the hospital gown and put on the monitors, the baby monitor thing that goes around your belly. And, and the midwife came in. And so there's one key midwife who I will, I won't say her name, but like, I'll just call her like the awesome midwife or something. Because she was the one who was there when I got admitted. She had like a day off the second day and then she was back the day that Sam was born. So she actually delivered him. Um, and she actually was there that first day to check me in. And Randy describes her as like, she looks, not only does she look like a midwife, she's like middle-aged Minnesotan woman. Mm -hmm. She also looks like she was raised on a farm and like delivers horses and cows on (laughs) the times when she's not delivering babies. Like she, you know, just seems solid, Mm -hmm. like just really, really unflappable. And, and so I just immediately had that sense of her and, Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, get ready. I'm going to leave like the, you know, the trainee nurse to put on your monitor. So like the trainee nurse comes in and puts on the monitor and she's trying to get the heartbeat. And she's like, um, this can't be right. And, and it's like 60 or something. And then the, the awesome midwife comes back in and she's like, oh, that's probably just mom's heartbeat. I'll have you turn over on your side. And then I just remember, like, the change in her face, because she was like, nope, that's definitely baby. Okay, what I'm going to have you do, and it was like, she was just in serious mode all of a sudden. It went from being like, hey, how are you, to like, I want you to lie on your left-hand side, I'm going to get this oxygen mask, I want you to take deep, slow breaths. You're like, I'm currently hyperventilating. I just took off my street clothes and put on this hospital gown. (laughs) This is the first thing that's happening. And and it was like it lasted for like, I don't know, seventy-five seconds or something, and then the heart rate came back up. So now everybody's freaking out. Like and they're like, We don't really know why this happened. We don't know how long this has been happening for. But I immediately felt like, okay, it was the right thing for me to come to the hospital this morning. Like, mm-hmm. if nothing else, like, <laughs> I probably belong here. Um, because decelerations and heart rate can be, obviously, a big deal. And uh, so then they're they're on me with the monitor, and they're like, you can't eat anything. Because we're probably going to have to do a C-section in, like, 10 minutes. Oh, <laughs> All right. So this Boy. is Monday, right? <laughs> so I'm on clear liquids starting, like, Monday at 9 a.m. Okay, and this and this is to say that he was born on Wednesday at noon. Okay. <laughs> oh so my god. Even if you take away every other thing and you just only give me like clear liquids for two and a half days, like that alone is enough to like be a huge, yeah, huge physical toll. Like let alone you know giving birth to a baby. So I didn't eat for two and a half days. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm like already like. That's too yeah. much. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, actually, I shouldn't say that because I snuck a Nutri-Grain bar oh, on good Tuesday good at like 7 a.m. when no one was looking. But other than that, I didn't eat anything. So then they're they're just watching me and they're like, well, you know, they're in discussions. They're, they're not going to do anything until they see what happens again. So then we're waiting and then, well, it hasn't happened again. And uh, so we're going to start the first day of induction. The first day of induction is essentially consists of ripening the cervix so they give you this medicine to like open your cervix and it's not pitocin yet and it's um you know it's it's sort of uncomfortable but it's not like contractions it's more Mm -hmm. just like crampiness 
And so they started that mid-morning, and then he was fine. He didn't have any more decelerations, you know, so I'm just hanging out, eating my jello, and then, like, around bedtime of this really long, really slow day that we're having, um, I was, I remember my husband and I were watching Anthony Bourdain, like, that was before Anthony Bourdain died, and I'm, like, I, I seriously, like, I felt it to be such a, like, mellow, mm-hmm. low-stakes emotional thing, like, we're watching, like, Anthony Bourdain in Thailand or something, mm-hmm. or, like, this is really, like, a no emotional content kind of show, and then, like, um, and then the deceleration like happened again. And so they're, they're watching the monitors and then like three people come flying in, you know, and, you know, turn on your side, put the oxygen on and the whole thing happened again. It was about the same amount of time. And then again, it like stopped. And so it's just enough to make everybody really, really nervous, but it's not enough to like make me have to have a c-section but they don't know what's going to happen when i start contracting for real if mm-hmm. it's going to like you know you know it's just really really tense and i think and the the midwife said you know what it probably is and this makes total sense knowing my son they thought that he was squeezing his cord like he would mm. he would grab a hold of it with his little baby hand you know and squeeze oh it god. until he passed out oh my god <laughs> i'm like this is not cool but yes that's totally in character for sam if you know him so uh then we passed a more or less sleepless night in that room and then woke up in the morning and they're like, all right, we're ready to start Pitocin. Um, and so we started Pitocin and, uh, you know, it was funny cause it was around lunchtime and I was like right in the middle of begging the midwife to like, let me have something to eat. And, um, she was like, yeah, better not. And then like the Pitocin had just started. And then like in the 10 minutes between when then and when she came back to check on me, um, I was throwing up. So it was like, you know, there's no more question of me eating anything. Mm-hmm. Like when the Pitocin hit, the Pitocin hit hard. And, uh, you know, I was, it went from like zero to 60. It went from like zero to a hundred, like really fast. And um, I don't know. I wasn't like super prepared for that. Um, so I guess to rewind, like I took one of those childbirth classes and, you know, I remember them going around the room and asking everybody, like, do you plan to have, you know, medicated delivery? Do you plan to have an epidural or not? And everybody goes around the room and like some people are like, you know, I'm going to definitely want to have like no medication for pain and some, and I think only one woman said, yeah, I'm going to have an epidural like straight up. And so I kind of was like another, a couple moms who said, well, I'm just going to kind of see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I had said. Well, I'll see how it goes, you know. And I'm here to tell you that that is not a strong enough reason not to get a paternal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, like you have to be fucking committed. Like yeah. there has to be a real mm-hmm. reason. Like, mm-hmm. you have to want it so bad, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're not going to have an epidural, like, to, like mm-hmm. for me to be like, oh, like, because I think in my mind, I was like, well, I want to be, like, really badass, strong woman, and if other people can do it, then so can I, you know? And it was like, I had all these reasons, but they kind of didn't make sense, and they weren't located at the core of my being, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, so the, 
the con- but then I was still in the beginning. I was like, well, I'm going to try. I said I was going to try. And everybody says, you know, the labor goes smoother if you don't have an epidural right away and you can walk around. And, you know, I should at least hold on for a while. You know, I still had it in my mind that I was going to try. And uh, so then they, like, gave me nitrous. And I, and uh, that was kind of funny because, you know, I'm just like, it's excruciating pain. And also, because of how I felt, I insisted on huddling up in front of the toilet so I could throw up. And the mm-hmm. midwife came and she's like, you know, you don't have to be in front of the toilet. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is where I belong right now. It's like years of ingrained throwing up behavior. Like, no, throw up is for toilet. I can't be I on a bed with a baggie. That's not what you do when you throw up. You are in I'm, front of a toilet. Yes. I'm 42 weeks pregnant and I'm like squeezing myself in front of a hospital toilet. Oh like, my gosh. She's like, just, you know, get on the bed. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, and she's like, well, do you want to try some of this nitrous, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds good. And, and then they're like, um, how's it going? And I'm like, I just feel like I'm high and in pain. And in pain, yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so it doesn't do anything. I mean, maybe it does if you're in the right mindset. But whatever mindset that was in, like, I was not in that mindset. So I was definitely just in a lot of pain. And so I held on. And this is one of my regrets is how long I pushed it. Because mm-hmm. I pushed it to the point where it was too too much to come back from in a way and like I I think the Pitocin like I wasn't having a contraction and then like a rest it was just a contraction like it didn't ever stop Mm -hmm. there was no catching your breath it was just this constant contraction and so I finally was like I want an epidural my husband just looks at me and he's like are you sure and I'm like yes it's like that is what I should have said at the very beginning. I should have gone into this knowing it's like if I I'm the kind of person where if I have a headache, I'll take an Advil. If I, you know, I don't. There's no reason for me personally to have held out against an epidural for so long. But I did. So then I was in a situation where like I was getting an epidural, but then I had to wait for the anesthesiologist. Mm-hmm. And so that's like 45 minutes. Oh, and man. Then that guy comes in and coincidentally or not, he was the only man who attended to me at all during my entire birth process. And uh, and he was such a jerk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Such a jerk. Oh, oh fire no. Fire no. And he actually, so I'm writhing. I'm trying yeah. to stand That's still. Good. And he's telling me to stand, to be still. He's telling me the exact position he wants me to like be in. And I'm closing my eyes because that's my place where I want to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And he... He at one point he's like, Catherine, are you listening to me? Oh my god! <laughs> oh no no what no! What do you mean? Am I listening? Why to you? are men allowed to have this job? Oh, I'm sorry. Or at least so like, if you're wrong. gonna have a man do it, you need to put him through some training where like women just yell at him for like a year <sighs> straight until he like gets in his fucking place. <laughs> oh my god! No, it was so bad. Oh, that's um, horrible. So then, you know, places the epidural, and then um, it it works for a little while, a little bit, and then it stops working. Oh, and that no. I think that was the that was the low point, right? Because I had waited for this epidural, I had mm-hmm. held out for reasons that were not good reasons, and then you know I'd waited for the anesthesiologist, and then I had sort of been promised this relief, mm-hmm. and that relief did not come, oh, and so man. they're like. 
well, we can try putting like a bolus in it. I love that word because they use that a lot. You know, bolus being like a big, like wash of um, drug. You know, through the epidural, but it didn't do it. It made my legs completely numb and uh-huh. did not affect my midsection at all. Uh, that's so I, awful. I couldn't move. I like. At one point, I, like, threw up on the blood pressure cuff. <laughs> like, you know, I was just, like, I was, like, being in the trenches. This was probably, like, early evening to, like, I'd say to, like, midnight. And on then, Tuesday, right? On Tuesday, okay. yep. And they brought in another anesthesiologist to actually place it. And that one worked better. I'm not going to say it was, like, perfect, mm-hmm. but it definitely was better. Um, then, that night between like I don't know midnight and early morning hours I did sleep for like a couple hours oh that's good and that that was and so I haven't even been talking about my cervix this whole time but um (laughs) that was the time when I was sleeping with the epidural in which you know I gained multiple centimeters to the point of you know being ready to go so Mm -hmm. it was was only when like to push it back against this thing that everybody says that like an epidural will slow down your dilation of your cervix and maybe that's true in the early stages but for me I had to relax relax enough yeah and the only thing that like worked for me to relax was having something to take that pain down to a Mm -hmm. manageable level and let me sleep and then when I woke up it was like go time and that was when my the awesome midwife was back on her shift so that was Wednesday she saw me and she's like we're gonna have a baby this morning Um, (laughs) and I was like what you know like I thought this was gonna go on forever forever and uh, she's like no we're gonna have a baby so it was like I was you know dilated I don't know nine or ten centimeters and so they let me go on like a little bit longer and then I guess you know, maybe nine o'clock that morning, they, um, they're like, do you want to start pushing? And I'm like, sure. You know, I don't really, I can't really feel anything. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I'm supposed to, but okay. You know, and I tried, I tried for a long time and it wasn't progressing. Like he was stuck mm-hmm. his head. And actually when he was born, the earliest pictures of him, there's a bruise on his head from my Aww. pubic bone. Cause oh. he was just stuck just in there. He was he does have enorm enormous head, this kid. Like he's he was eight pounds ten ounces, but he's always consistently been in the ninety ninth percentile for head because circumference. So he was legit stuck. And so they had me do something called laboring down, which means like basically stop pushing in the middle of pushing and hmm. um they put me in a weird position, like on my side with a birthing ball and I don't even remember, but um and it was at that point that the um, OBGYN came in for, like, the first time. Mm-hmm. And she was, like, very carefully, seemed like carefully choosing her words. And she mm-hmm. said, you know, you've been in labor for a long time, which was true. And she's like, you know, your your baby is measuring very large, which was kind of true. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, your advanced gestational age, like, like gestational age 42 weeks is overdue like I'm old she's basically telling me all the things Mm -hmm. that are wrong with me in the situation (laughs) you're like like, they might all be true but also also, like do I need to hear this right now and uh, and it was actually at that point that my husband had gone out for breakfast to grab something to eat so he was not even there and she's like you know all these things are wrong with you um, I'm just letting you know that we could do a C-section, 
And I was like, okay. Um, and then, apart, but in my head, I'm like, well, fuck, if we are going to do a C-section, we should have scheduled one last week. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I go through all this to get to this point. Like, it's not that I'm opposed to a C-section. I just, you know. I've worked really hard to work for me to have that. a C-section right yeah. now. Yeah. And I was really, I was kind of mad about it. And then Randy came back in, and I was, like, crying. I was, like, Aww. just so, like, upset. And, like, the OBGYN came in and said that I, sh- I, I could have a C-section or I could consider having a C-section. And I, I had told her, you know, I want to talk to my husband about it, but we can talk again, like, when he's back. And so I told Randy, like, I told her that when you got back, we could talk to her again about it. And he said, well, we don't need to hear that again. <laughs> <laughs> love him for that too he's like we're not gonna call that lady back in here are you crazy you know like we don't need to hear that that's awesome uh, yeah and so that was really awesome because I feel like I wouldn't have had the strength to like shut it down like that Mm -hmm. you know because I just you know at that stage there's so much pain you can't even think and And you haven't eaten in like I haven't eaten in like you know two days and counting so I just I needed him to do what he did right then which was just say like forget it that's awesome so then I started pushing. So then I kind of, I was laboring down and then I had like this enormous pain in my back and Mm -hmm. it just like this stabbing pain. And I'm like, I don't know, like, I'm like, my spinal cord is being severed. Like something is (laughs) happening right now. And they're like, all right, well, let's try pushing again. And so I pushed for like maybe another 30 or 45 minutes. And then finally, finally, he was born and uh you know there were like you know five people in there you know he just it was obviously just this amazing moment where you know I felt I felt his head through come through and then I could feel like the whole rest of him come with the next push and it was just like and all the stuff that they're telling me about shoulder dystocia and like he's gonna get stuck and he's huge and it was like it was like all right head and then like just one more push and it was like the whole body and Mm -hmm. I was like thank you for that you know (laughs) like he came out and so they put him on me and it was so you know just beyond amazing and obviously just all the feelings and so they're you know they're working him up they had a little crib next to me and they're cleaning him off and getting him scrubbed down and um, at the birth class that I've been to, they said, you know, the placenta will come out, like, you know, that's just something that happens. Most people don't even remember that, because it just happens afterwards, and mm-hmm. so, um, so, meanwhile, I have the awesome midwife standing there, and she's, like, insisting on, like, kneading her knuckles into my guts, and you know how that is, because you're like, okay, I didn't know this was a thing, like, um, you're like, I'm done with pain, I'm and then you're like, yeah, yeah we're gonna give you some more pain, and I'm like, what are you doing, and she's like, well, your placenta still hasn't come out, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm sure it's on its way, <laughs> <laughs> can you, can you not do this, it'll come out on its own, yeah. I'll tell it, they I'll tell it, me, it needs to yeah, come out, they told me the placenta was no big deal, and, um, and, but she seemed to be like worrying about it. Mm-hmm. And so she seemed to be like watching the clock. And, and I, I learned later that you have like 15 minutes hard stop, but oh, by the I time your that. placenta has to come out. Okay. I knew retained placenta was bad, but I didn't know it was like a 15 minute situation. Yeah. You have a certain amount of time and I'm going to tell you exactly why. And it's, it's gross. <laughs> We're here for it. 
we're here for. <laughs> so, you have 15 minutes, um, and my placenta did not come out in that time, despite the best efforts of this midwife to jam it like, out of my body. Oh my goodness. Um, so, what they had to do was the doctor, the OB, had to come in, and because my cervix was still open, she actually took her hand and went <laughs> up in there and pulled <laughs> It oh, out. Painful. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're wondering if that hurts. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> that really, really hurts. And I had, they gave me like the epidural button and I hadn't even pushed it in a while because like, I figured we were done, you know. Yeah. All of a sudden they're like, you know, this this is going to happen. I start like, you know, pushing that thing. Oh my god. <laughs> pushing, pushing it. And it was like not, it was not only was it like painful, but it was like creepy feeling. Yeah. It was just, like not yeah. A, like just the knowing what was gonna happen and Ooh. but the amazing thing was that Sam was on my chest the, like, whole, the time whole time they were doing this. And he was lying there and I started to scream mm -hmm. and I think this was like my first moment of really being a mother mm -hmm. was because I realized that my screaming was going to upset him. Aww. So I changed my scream to a different, like, pitch. Yeah. So it was, like, way lower. Low. Yeah. And, like, and I realized I was doing that for him. Like, and I was like, oh, I'm a mom. I care about you more than myself now. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry you had to go through that, but that is really sweet. Well, if, if it had not happened, like, it came out with that intervention, but otherwise I would have had to go in to get a DNC, which Ugh. would have been worse. So yeah, definitely. It was good that the midwife was on it, and, um... And it all you know, came out in one, like, thing? It all came out in one back. thing. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, but that's kind of the risk. Um, so Ooh. it and wasn't even over when I thought it was over. No. Yeah. That's unfortunate. And why does it have to come out in 15 minutes? Because at that point, they can their cervix will no longer be open enough so they can stick oh. their hand in there. Because their cervix is rapidly closing down. Oh. <laughs> so then they have to go in surgically, I think. Is my understanding. I think I that's wrong, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. What an experience. So it was good. I mean, it was really... Um, intense it took a long time I was really beat up I had a lot of tearing and um you know pushing for that long like my perineum was a complete disaster and what was your first meal afterwards oh my god there's this classic picture of us in the hospital and Randy in the foreground holding Sam and taking a selfie and me in the background with just like 10 plates of food <laughs> 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 it was like eggs and pancakes and bacon and sausage and orange juice. It was like, I just did it. It was big. Were you um, just so excited to like not have anyone tell you to eat chicken oh broth? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, I mean, the, the time that I was in labor, I wasn't really hungry, but mm -hmm. I definitely like had a sense of my body having been through a lot. Yeah. You know, a lot being asked of my body. Yeah. And I actually, I had so much fluids that, like, I weighed myself going to the hospital, and then I weighed myself going out, and I had an 8-pound, 10-ounce baby, and I lost 3 pounds. Wow. <laughs> so you <laughs> like, were just full of water. The math doesn't add up. I was just, I mean, my feet, it was like I had feet on top of my feet. Oh, like, my gosh. They were so swollen, and, you know, I was beat up. I really had a sense that, like, my body was just, had 
really been pushed to yeah. its limit. And I remember, like, I don't know, it was, I was only in the hospital for, like, a day, but that night I um, walked around, because I'm like, it'll make me feel better to, like, be up on my feet and mm-hmm. walking, and I walked around, and then I came back to the room, and my whole body was, like, shaking, like I was shivering, but oh my gosh. I just, like... And I'm like, what is that about? You know, just the effort of getting up and walking mm-hmm. around the hallway made me, like, just have this physical reaction. Yeah. And I wasn't at all back to myself at all. And uh, the other thing I'll, I'll put out there for people, you know, just from my experience, too, is, um, you know, they tell you all these things about, about nursing and there's, you feel like there's just such a way that you have to do it or mm-hmm. else everything will go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, you know, you have to do the colostrum thing. You know, you have to, and, and they were funny too, because, you know, it's like, you know, 11 o'clock on the night that Sam was born and I hadn't slept or eaten in however long and I'm still, the epidural's going off and whatever. And they're like, all right, we'll wake you up in two hours to nurse. And I was like, yo, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're like, you know, they're keeping me right on the schedule. Like, you have to do this, you have to do that, and and you can't give them a pacifier. And they never even brought up that I would give them formula. It was just mm-hmm. like this is a like a whatever they call it, like a nursing friendly hospital. So mm-hmm. they have these like things that they do to promote nursing. And I'm all about nursing. And I nursed Sam until he was like until I got pregnant with Anna. So he would have been like 15 months, and mm-hmm. he was. You know, we had a great nursing relationship eventually, but they, you know, they pushed it and I got discharged on a Friday and Sam was awake. He woke up around 4 p.m. on Friday night and he stayed awake all night long. Oh, man. And he was just like, he could not be soothed. He was Mm -hmm. so upset and Randy and I, we had no idea. Like this creature is in our house Mm now and seems to want something, but we don't know what it is, and, like, so I'm, like, maybe he's hot, and I would take his swaddle off, and, like, maybe he's cold, and then I would, like, swaddle him, and <laughs> Randy, like, I kid you not, like, he looked up, um, sounds of the womb on YouTube, and he was playing <laughs> it, so that maybe he would feel calmer, <laughs> and, like, in retrospect, knowing what I know now, like, he was, um, hungry, the kid yeah. was hungry. He just we wanted to nurse, and my milk hadn't come in. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that Saturday morning, like when my milk came in, it came, and it was like <laughs> just totally engorged, and and that added like another layer to my misery. But like <laughs> as soon as he got, as soon as my milk came in, and like he was able to nurse, I mean he he gained like a pound in his first week at home with wow. us. So he was he's a good eater, but mm-hmm. like that night when he was super hungry and we just didn't know what's wrong with him mm-hmm. or how to help and you know and the fact that formula like never comes up as a thing that you should ever do and bottles mm-hmm. god forbid and pacifiers and no way like you know all that you know and and how they tell you like it's normal for them to lose weight and like yeah it's normal but like he wasn't really happy about it you know he's a full-term eight pound ten ounce little boy who's like you know, ready to eat. And I think because of the birth, you know, that I had gone through, my body was a little bit like out of whack and, you know, it just delayed my milk coming in. So he was born on Wednesday and he didn't get to eat until Saturday and he did lose weight. And they say, and they say that's normal. And they say that's like not out of the realm of normal, but like if I had one thing to go back and do over again, 
I would have had some formula on hand and just fed that kid that night mm-hmm. and we all would have been happier and I really don't think it would have ruined his life and that's no my, it would not thank have. you for coming to my TED mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. <laughs> yes because he was gonna nurse no matter what the kid was hungry um I don't know why and I mean I'm not like a licensed lactation consultant I'm just spouting off but I don't know why it's like written in stone that you can't give your newborn food when they're hungry (laughs) yeah if you don't happen to have it right at that moment yeah so anyway that's my two psas is like go for the epidural and you know don't feel bad about formula yeah yeah i like breastfeeding is such a crazy experience and i know women that have like had the most insanely hard difficult start and then they get it going and it's great and they keep going and they're so happy they went through all that and then i know women who had an insanely difficult start and killed themselves for way too long and then Mm -hmm. finally ultimately switched to formula and they're like why didn't I do this earlier you know so it's Mm. like every or you know supplementing but also nursing like there's no one way to do it right it's like whatever is good for your baby and for you is is good like just do that um, yeah, but I think so we many. go into it knowing like, oh, well, we already have to breastfeed and it has to be awesome right away and we're going to be so bonded and blah, 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 and it's just going to be perfect. And we feel like there's one way to do it, but it's just like every baby is so different. And I really do think fed is best. You know, it's important that that your kid gets on. And my second child, and this is not a story about her, but she had to be in the NICU for a while. And the first thing they do for a NICU baby is they give them um, donor milk, even before the mom's milk comes in, because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we're not going to put a NICU baby under the stress of that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're burning through calories trying to keep themselves alive. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's also true of a full-term baby. Yes. You know? They yeah. just mm-hmm. went through a lot, mm-hmm. too. And like, <laughs> but somehow it's supposed to be all right for a full-term baby to like not eat and wait out the mom's milk coming in. And I, I just question that. There's so many things that like go out the window with a NICU baby mm-hmm. where they're like, all right, well, we're just trying to like solve this problem or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, people like perfection or perfectionist about for a full term baby that's not in the NICU, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was a rough start. I had a lot of, um, I don't know if it was trauma, but it was, you know, it was a lot, and then I, but I always also remember the the thing that the midwife said to me after Sam was born, um, she just looked me straight in the eye, and she's like, you made all the right decisions. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, thank you, like, (laughs) I, that means so much coming from her, because Mm -hmm. I trusted her, I immediately trusted her, and I felt like she was really just down to earth and grounded, and, Mm -hmm you know, had all of the experience and knowledge and intuition. And for her to say that, like, I made the right decisions was meaningful. And I think it was, it was the right decision to come to the hospital because he needed to be born so that he didn't like asphyxiate himself by holding onto his (laughs) own umbilical cord, obviously. And then um, (laughs) it was the right decision not to have a C-section and all of that. It was the right decision for me to have an epidural, you know? So I appreciated that. Do you have a sense, I know it's such a time warp when you're in labor, like time has no meaning, but between Mm -hmm. when the, the OB came in to tell you, you probably would need one to when he was actually born. How long was that? It was probably like an hour. I an mean, hour. It wasn't that long. So it's like it's yeah. crazy what difference an hour can make. Mm-hmm. And and I, 
I'm totally for the person who says, I've been not eating for two days. Give me the C-section right now. Like that's, but if, well, if you don't want one and your goal is to try, you know, a little bit longer, like it's amazing what an hour will do. So I was really, this is the epilogue to that story because I was burned up about that, fully burned up about that for like a year and, um, or two. And then I, I got pregnant with my second child and I was talking to the midwives about her delivery and, you know, whether, again, the C-section versus like not... And I said, well, one thing that I don't want to happen is I don't want to labor for a super long time and then have them come in and tell me that I should consider a C-section, which is what your colleague told me the last time, you know, and I was kind of like hot about it. And, and the midwife that I was talking to was like, oh, well, you know, she had to do that. And I was like, what? And she said, well, it's a liability thing Mm -hmm. because if I were to have continued laboring and then not, you know, and things had gone south, then I could come back and sue and say, well, you didn't tell me, mm. you know, and, and I was like, oh, and it kind of like took lawyers. the wind out of my it's sails. These, yeah, everything. I was, and I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that explains it. That explains everything. It explains why she came in and told me, you know, in carefully worded language that I could have a C-section. Yeah. It explains why she laid out all the reasons that I could and, you know. And it also explains why she didn't push it. And like mm-hmm. when my husband came back and said, we don't need to hear that again. Like if it really was necessary, they would have told us that again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it explained everything. And so yeah. it, I, it took me from being just mad at her as a person to be like, oh, she was doing her job. And that's yeah. what you have to do because of litigation in mm-hmm. our country. So you, y'all lawyers can hear about that. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> lawyers have ruined birth and the medical everything. profession. Yeah. Fully. No. We we know yeah (laughs) everything you hate you can thank a lawyer so but yeah that's why wow um how else did the rest of your postpartum period go um like your maternity leave and i just want to as a side note just you know you're a professor and just the timing i feel like was Mm. kind of fortuitous (laughs) right summer or maybe that's just my impression (laughs) It was amazing timing because it was right at the beginning of summer and my husband and I both had the whole summer because he's a professor too, which also makes a huge difference. Um, We got so lucky with that because I just, I had like, I had postpartum anxiety and it's funny Mm -hmm. because at the time I I couldn't really name it. You know, it's taken me a long time to even just be able to to say, yeah, that was what was going on with me. Um, But I didn't you know, I didn't grapple with it, and I, you know, I, I could not um, be calm. I couldn't rest. I couldn't sleep even mm-hmm. when he was sleeping. Totally. Because I was worried, and, um, you know, Randy would, like, and this is why it was so fortuitous, too, that Randy was off for the summer. It was because I didn't, I didn't feel safe being alone with the baby. Like, I just felt like I wasn't, not that I didn't feel safe, but I just felt very anxious about it. And, yeah. And so Randy would like go to Target and I'd be like, please come back soon. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I really, really leaned on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully he was there, but I just, I was worried about being alone. With, and that, and I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Like, I, I don't think it was rational at all. I think I actually was a good caring mom and mm-hmm. like he was safe with me, but I just felt like very much like when Randy left that something bad was going to happen mm-hmm. and, you know, it took me maybe six months to get over that. I think it was like October by the time I felt like I was coming back into my own, mm-hmm. 
headspace and it was really 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 hard we don't have a lot of family around and um, my mother had passed away like five years before that um, and I think that part of it might have been the grief process of not having her around to, mm-hmm. to witness and be helpful and all that you know and trying to grapple with like being a mom at the same time as like missing your own mom and um, and just the lack of sleep just the like yeah hysterical you know lack of sleep yes. that you're dealing with <laughs> um yeah it it was a lot mentally yeah um, well I feel like a your brain does get rewired when you have a baby to like be super anxious because you're supposed to be keeping this baby alive so your brain's like always looking out for mm-hmm. danger or whatever their needs are so you're just sort of like hyper vigilant naturally and then also we are meant to have another person around to help like yes. that is a natural that is the natural state of things is that you would not be recovering from having a baby and also completely solo caring for the baby. Like yeah. there's supposed to be people around. So like that anxiety of him being gone, it might be mm-hmm. irrational in that like your house isn't going to like explode just because your husband walked out the door. But also like you might need to get some water and you can't do that yourself because you're stuck yeah. on the couch, you know, like. Yeah, I used to joke about that. I'd be like, Randy, I need some ice cream. I need it in my other hand. <laughs> like, that's pretty much what I want. Like, like you must do everything for me. And, uh, I mean, thankfully, he was there for that and there for me. And he's just a really stable, caring person. And, I mean, I remember at the time being like, I have all of these, like, wonderful advantages in my life like stability in career stability in marriage stability in financial stuff like and still this is like bringing me so like I'm so humbled by this experience like Mm -hmm. I feel like this is like just barely not more than I can handle and then thinking about man like how many people do this with so many less supports and uh and just really feeling humbled by that. I feel like I've done hard things in my life, and mm-hmm. but this one was like next level hard. I didn't have a really easy time. Yeah, <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, but also even with all those advantages that you do have, it's just it's a testament to how our society is not structured to support mm-hmm. families and parents. It's just not. It's 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 <laughs> it's structured to. To be difficult for everybody. Yeah. But, oh so. my gosh. Yeah, just the nuclear family setup, like, and even though I I'm in it and I fully plan to stay in like a nuclear family household because that's just like what we do. It doesn't make any sense when you have kids. Like, you should have like a bunch of people around who are all sharing cooking and cleaning, who are sharing childcare responsibilities. So it's not all on like this one human being. You know. What I really really lacked was a bunch of women and also women who could just come into my house and just you know be really like a part of the fabric of my life already you know Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. my mother had died you know all my aunts and everybody is on the east coast and you know everybody's supportive I have friends here but you know we moved here in 2012 and he was born in what 20 um, 15, 2016, I should know that. Um, so, you know, four years worth of friendship. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, I had some friends who I'd been friends with for four years and that's not nothing. And they were supportive and they came and brought me food. And, um, but it wasn't like the kind of people who've like, I've known you since you were a kid. Let me come in and just do your, wash your underwear. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, 
yeah. it wasn't that kind of people and the and those I feel like are really women I feel like it's mm-hmm. women who you know my dream when I was postpartum was to have like a bunch of aunts and cousins and my mom and everybody just coming in and hanging out and telling mm-hmm. their birth stories and telling me it was going to be okay yeah you know and I just didn't have that at all yeah. and I, I had Randy who god love him like he is great but he was also going through a big life change mm-hmm. where he's becoming a dad and you know he's just as frazzled as I am yeah so, although not because no one was just as frazzled as I was but <laughs> but yeah it was really 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 hard to come out of that um, just that feeling of claustrophobia. I don't know if I would have made it if he was born in like November and mm-hmm. it was dark and cold, you know, yeah. at least we could go outside mm-hmm. and walk and, you know, it, it felt okay. But, um, the walls just close in on you when you mm-hmm. have an infant like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's an insanely huge change. And when you have no one around helping you to like, even like there's the help, which you totally need. And then like consistently, there to like watch your baby do cute stuff and you can mm-hmm. smile together with another person about yes. it there's something about that that is like so just like it gets you through the hard parts of it you're like oh look at my cute baby oh instead of just like staring at your cute baby and be like oh you're so cute but then they can't I, communicate yeah. back to you like thanks mom you know <laughs> there's like a connection that you are missing in the whole scheme of things i used to feel like i would walk we used to go because this is pre-pandemic we used to go to like the local coffee shop and like you know have lunch there or whatever and I bring him in his little carrier and I just was always so amazed that like people didn't just turn around and were like oh my god it was like it's to me it felt like well I like Jesus just walked in this yeah. room like everybody just like oh my god like you've never seen something so perfect and wonderful and yet like people are just ordering their coffee like I'm like are you not knowing like what's going on here like this is a perfect creature like, you know so I was just like so in awe of him and just like head over heels in love with him and all that stuff but yeah I didn't have a lot of support for me yeah. except for my wonderful husband who was there like all the time <laughs> other than that I didn't have a lot of support. <laughs> putting your ice cream no. in the correct hand exactly yeah <laughs> Um, well, are there any other thoughts you want to share? If not, then we'll launch into our birth fact. Um, I know. I think I pretty much covered everything. I can't think of anything else. All right. Awesome. Well, because your birth um, was overdue, I found a fact that says the longest time on record that someone has been pregnant is 375 days. Why? So that does not seem right. Normally, a pregnancy lasts around two hundred and eighty days. This was in nineteen forty-five, so it's like almost a hundred days overdue. So it says now. I don't know what the statistics comes from, but it says longer pregnancies are more common than you might think. Many women report being pregnant for ten or eleven months rather than the usual nine. So I don't even believe that. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing in 1945, but <laughs> I would not wish that upon my worst enemy, being pregnant that long. That's insane. Or when you hear of, like, animal pregnancies, like elephants, mm-hmm. like, being pregnant for, like, a year and a half, and, yeah. you're, and you're, like, in the jungle trying to, like, eat enough, too. I just yeah. I'm like, that's really a stressful yeah. pregnancy. <laughs> I feel like elephants are so calm, though. They're just like, I'm so big, I don't have any predators, whatever. It's cool, guys. Like, I'll just lumber around my big old trunk. 
I don't know. I just think of them as such like peaceful animals, and like they're probably just way more chill than I am. Yeah, baby. Wow. Well, I, Catherine, your story was so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, thanks I for really having appreciated me. It. Yeah, you know, I yeah. haven't thought of this in a long time. It really takes me back. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. I, anytime I have a close friend and I haven't heard their birth story, I'm always like, why haven't I heard this yet? Because I feel like I need to know. Like, I have to know the details. So I'm really glad that now well, I know the go. details. All right. Well, we'll let you go. Thanks for joining us. And um, hopefully we'll have a play date or something soon. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.